Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through the Gospel of Luke, and today we are at a pivotal moment in the story. We are in, going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27, and we're going to see uh, Jesus accept an identity that he has kept silent to this point. It's still going to be largely hidden, but it is revealed to his disciples. And so we're in Luke 9, verses uh, 18 through 27, and Taylor, if you'd read that for us, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, I'd love to. Let's read the word of the Lord together. One day, Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Luke uses this story, uh, uses this moment a little bit differently than the other other gospels. Uh, uh, Matthew, for instance, highlights how you know Peter is blessed because uh, it, he didn't figure this out on his on his own, but rather it was revealed to him by uh, God in heaven. Um, so you know, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Uh, and, but uh, Luke kind of skips over that, and and we don't get you know the whole uh, upon this rock I'll build my church and all that. Luke uses it differently. He immediately goes into kind of the implication of what it means to be the Messiah, and, and especially the implications uh, that they wouldn't understand, that they wouldn't have, have really uh, gathered. Um, Jesus, first of all, he, in verse 21, he tells his disciples, don't tell anyone else. So he's basically saying, yes, this is true. Just don't tell anybody. But then he says the meaning of this verse, the very next verse, the son of man must suffer many terrible things, and then delineates what some of those things are, things that you just would not expect. And certainly if people were to use the word Messiah, uh, the anointed one or savior, kind of like uh, you know Peter had just done, they wouldn't understand because in their mind, you know, as we know, like they would think of King David, they would think of vic- victory, they would think of triumph over your enemies, a kind of a military, political Messiah. And, and Jesus is going to be none of those things, at least at this point. Instead, uh, it's a very different path, a very different destination, one that leads to the cross and glorification after the cross. Uh, so normally to be the hero of the story sounds like a really great thing. You know, to, I imagine in most popular imagination at the time, uh, to be the Messiah would sound like a great thing. Like who doesn't want to be the hero of the story, but not the way Jesus frames it. I, I don't know that any of us wants to be that kind of hero. And and actually Jesus addresses specifically that fact. He uh, In verse 23, he says, 
Now, not, not just speaking to the disciples, but rather to the entire crowd. He turns to the crowd and says, if any of you, which includes us, if any of you wants to be my follower, you have to be willing not, you know, to give, first of all, give up your own way because you're going to follow Jesus's way. And you have to take up your cross daily and follow me. And remembering like a cross is not this beautiful little pendant that you hang around your neck. A cross is, an, is a, um, a tool, a state tool of humiliation and execution. So this is a very kind of uh, not very appealing message. This is not something that Jesus workshopped in a focus group or something like that. This is exactly the opposite of what they would want to hear. I think it's the exact opposite of what we would want to hear. And then to make it even more clear, he says, if you try to hold on to your life, you know, if you hold on to things tightly, then uh, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to give up your life for my sake, there's a, you know, pick up the cross image again. If you're willing to give up your life for my sake, then you will save it. You know, and what famous saying, like what benefit is to you if you gain the entire world, but end up losing your soul? You know, it's just not, there's nothing this world has to offer that is remotely worth the trade that we are so often willing to make by seeking the world's approval rather than seeking uh, God's favor. I, you know, as I read through this, even again, as you read through it, I have to say that no matter how you dress it up, following Jesus just does not sound appealing. It doesn't sound good. There's no reason uh, in, you know, other than actually experiencing God, there's no reason anybody would want to do this. The only way I think anybody could want to follow in this path is because we have been loved by Jesus. We we trust Jesus. We know others who trust Jesus, and, and they can testify to the ways that God has proven uh, right over and over, proven faithful over and over, you know, so that we can be assured that this kind of upside down path that, that Jesus wants us to follow, that the way up is actually to go down, the way to be exalted is to be humbled or even humiliated is just so unappealing. And uh, I'd love to hear what you say about that. And I, I, maybe I'll say for the end, uh, some of the ways I've experienced this kind of humbling, which has often come through humiliation. Uh, mm. But Taylor, I'm wondering what you see in this passage and in your own life. Yeah. Well, uh, first, just to pick up that last thread, um, I, I feel like the most dangerous prayer I ever pray, and I pray it very rarely, is, and I'm just being really clear here, God, I'm not praying it right now, is, <laughs> is praying to be humbled because I, I'm telling you what, I'm batting a thousand on that one. Whenever I pray that one, that seems like, I don't know, some prayers, it feels like God just doesn't want to answer, at least not the way I want, but that one, oh my gosh, uh, that is a dangerous prayer. Um, so I just throw that in there. Um, you know, I think what Jesus is getting at is, it's a little bit crass to call this a cost benefit analysis, but there's some of that here, which is to say there is an eternal life. There is something beyond this. And in fact, he says, some of you right here will not die before you experience the kingdom of God. And I don't think he's just talking about his, he's not talking about his return. He's talking about the present reality of the kingdom, which is this kind of complicated reality. We often talk about this as like the now and the not yet, the partially but not fully realized kingdom of God. And so he's saying that there, the kingdom of God, this beautiful thing that's going to fully exist when he comes back, which he talks about when he says, when I return in my father's glory and with the angels, it'll be fully realized, but it's partially here right now. You're going to experience it. And so you and I and everyone else, we're, we're living in that partial reality of the kingdom. And so we kind of have to make this decision. Are we willing to give up the present experiences of 
you know, wealth, of safety, of acclaim, whatever it is we're after, to live into the kingdom here and now, recognizing that we will only fully realize the entire benefit of it when we're gone, assuming Jesus doesn't come back before we die. And I mean, I don't know, I'm not in that prediction business. That's a dangerous game. Uh, but I'll just say, I mean, that's, that's challenging, right? Jesus is saying like, you've got to take a gamble. You've got to trust me that this, that this is worth it. And that's a, that's a, that's a challenging thing. I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a challenging thing to accept to say, oh, like this, this is going to cost me something here. But I think what he's saying too is saying, you know, as much as you think it's going to cost you here, it's actually going to cost, it's going to cost you something up front. Yeah, yes, it will. It, it has an expensive down payment. But if you go the other route, you're actually going to lose everything. It's, it's short-term gain for long-term loss. And I don't think that Jesus is calling us to follow him just on a pure cost benefit analysis of selfishness. But I do think he is using our typical human selfish logic to teach us a lesson about being selfless. He's, he's actually using our own flawed structure of how we tend to think of, our, think of the world as people who live in economies of scarcity to say, okay, well, if that's how you're gonna think, let's, let's at least, let's play that one out. How, let, let's, let's, let's take that out to its logical conclusion. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that's what's going on here. I will also say to your point about um, the cross, I, I wonder how the disciples heard this because we hear this and we know that Jesus died on a cross, but when they hear that, like that's got to sound funny. Like they don't, they don't, like how, how did they hear that? I, I've always wondered that. Uh, and I, and I think that you're, you're absolutely right to, to, to name that it was, a, it was a tool of political suppression of political oppression. It was, it was not just like a, he didn't just die. He was, he died as a political martyr. It was a religious martyr. And he's saying you have to pick up your cross every single day. That's another area that's that's a piece that's different in the text from the Matthew example, where Matthew has Jesus saying, you just have to pick up your cross and follow me. Whereas in Luke, it says you have to pick up your cross every single day, which is a pretty daunting uh, concept to say, be willing to suffer political persecution every single day or social persecution. Die to yourself on a regular basis. It's not once and done. It's an ongoing daily thing. Uh, you know, I, the idea of like making one big grand gesture once and done might be costly enough. I'd say, I might do it once. I might do it once. Sure. Why not? You just get it over with. Go out, <laughs> go out in a blaze of glory, right? Yeah. 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 Why not? Quick, pull the bandaid off. Let's just get it over with. But Luke's making it very clear. He's like, no, no, no. And Jesus is making it very clear. No, you got to be willing to do it every single day. And I think that's a lot harder. Because it's so much, it's so easy sometimes to think of ourselves, like envision ourselves as the hero of our own story, as you were saying, and like think about, oh, I'm going to do that one big heroic thing. It's a lot harder to say, I'm going to sacrifice for the sake of love in ways that nobody's going to see that are not grandiose, but I'm going to do them every day. I'm going to be kind to my spouse. I'm going to be, I'm not going to cheat on my taxes, you know, even if I could get away with a little bit, or I'm going to you know, hold the door for somebody, or I'm going to let someone in, in traffic. I mean, I could go on and on and on all these little things that like, you're never going to get thanked for, you're never going to get any credit for, but they're just the small ways that add up over time to a cruciform life where we love our neighbors as ourselves. So anyways, those are my thoughts. Uh, John, you mentioned you had some thoughts about uh, being humbled and I'm really curious to hear. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, to give you the, the, the 
dramatically shortened version, I would I'd say I had recent experience experience where I got a little foretaste of kind of like this, you know, potential payoff of what we receive on the other side of this, these sacrifices. I grew up in a household where um, respect for parents was intended to be ironclad and was was enforced with the full force of the law. Uh, growing, becoming a parent myself, uh, especially in a, a, a much less Korean kind of household, uh, the, the kind of disrespect I've received from my kids at various points, things that I would never have done, has been very shocking to me and and feels uh, maybe because of, of coming from kind of uh, my mom's Korean household felt very um, angering. Long story short, over Christmas break, uh, my two oldest kids had this conversation, one of these random conversations with me in the kitchen. And and they both said, basically, I think the, the literal wording was like, you saved us. And mm. I was like, shocked, kind of dumbfounded. It's like the kind of moment that as a dad, you you live for to yeah. you know hear that kind of gratitude. But just some of the ways they, they, they told me um, about the ways that I had talked to them and been with them and treated them. Mm. And in the end, you know, it's like following the Jesus path. I got the respect that I so longed for mm. uh, in a way that if I had insisted on the respect in the way that I wanted to, I never would have gotten. So I, I got to have, I thank God for having that experience for all kinds of reasons. But if nothing more, uh, I'm certainly because I'm glad that my, my kids appreciate me, but even just God giving me this foretaste of saying, look, this path is worth it. These sacrifices mm. are worth it. You're, you know, you're, you're not going to experience it all the time. I'm going to give you this little foretaste. So it encourages you to trust me in the other things. So anyway, that was the experience I wanted to share. Wow. Wow. Thanks for sharing. Well, Taylor, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to close this in prayer, because like so many things that Jesus asks, and like this passage starts with, it really has to be based in prayer. We're not going to be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this teaching, even if it's difficult. We ask that you would move in us, that you would nudge us, prod us, uh, confront us or comfort us, whatever we need today, uh, so that we can be more like you, that we would be willing to pick up our cross today, to pay the cost, and to follow you, and to trust with deep joy that your reward is indeed waiting for us, and it is worth it, because you are a good and loving God. All this we pray in your powerful and resurrected name. Amen. Amen. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us again today. And I hope you're able to join us tomorrow again as we continue our walk through the Gospel of Luke. Go in peace.